Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everyone and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR Feature here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Podcasting Network. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and I hope that you are beginning your recovery from what has been an absolutely frantic mania weekend from Thursday night to Friday where there was a wrestling show every 10 minutes to, of course, WrestleMania weekend and last night, Raw After Mania and We've recorded this before the Raw After Mania, so please, if if we mention anything, we're sorry. We are not recording a show that went out on a Tuesday to talk about Raw that happened an hour before it. But because of the Raw After Mania, we are going to actually talk about a historic Raw After Mania. We're going to go back nine years and talk about the 2013 Raw After Mania that took place after WrestleMania 29. Now, before... We get on to talking about that, just the usual bit of housekeeping that you may be used to if you've listened to us over the years. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is where you can find us on social media. If it's the first time listening, hit the subscribe button on your podcast network of choice. And we're also on YouTube where you can find all our great video content there. Right now, of course, we also have a panel who are here to discuss this particular show. Uh, first off, we have David Hockney. David, how are you? Yes, back again after what me and Ross recorded a stupendous episode of Central last week. And some of the predictions we discussed, I can't believe some of them actually came true. I can't believe that Seth Rollins actually ended up facing Veer Mahan, of all people. That might actually come true. I don't know. You never know. They might throw a curveball. They might do something. We can, I'm not nah, a confident until happen. It won't happen. He was uh, he was scheduled for the Monday appearance anyway. Well, he might not even have showed up then. <laughs> oh, the probably. Chased it to Veer is coming. Just back now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not Veer Mahad, it's Veer Molina. Oh, God. Oh, this is just dragging on. He's going to be a star now. He's going to actually go over on his end. Anyway, uh, also joining us, we have Alan McLucas. Alan, how are you? I'm good, mate. And I cannot believe that Vacant finally got his WrestleMania moment against the mighty Seth Rollins. That's my prediction. Vacant's going to come out there and just smack him about. No, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good, thanks. Uh, still recovering, you know? Even though WrestleMania's not happened yet, you know? <laughs> so there's not actually a, sh- a time of recording. The next sh- the show's first show's in two hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm blood sports coming up. You know, something dodgy might happen. Somebody's going to bleed. That's my prediction for that. I'm not going to go any Seth Rollins predictions. And rounding us off, we also have John Isherwood. John, who did you think Seth Rollins is fake-faced on Sunday night, Saturday night? Uh, Seth Rollins is going to face a create a wrestler from WWE 2K22. Hey, you never, you never know, Blumen Vacant has called him out on Twitter saying that he once stole his title. Now he's going to take his WrestleMania moment. I'm coming for your moment. Oh, jeez. Gents, uh, we're here to talk about the Raw After Mania. And the 2013 edition is arguably one of the more memorable for certain moments in particular. We're going to go into them in detail. But first, something I always like to do when I host these look-back shows, I like to see, to talk about what happened on that day 
that wasn't the particular show we were watching. So this was on the 8th of April 2013, where the uh, the UK box office was topped for the third week by the film The Crudes, which seems... I didn't remember it was a film, but hey-ho, it was a DreamWorks animated film. Never seen uh, it. Top of the singles charts was a favourite of Mr. Hockney. Mm-hmm. It was the re-release of PJ and Duncan's Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Yeah, and I checked my Facebook memories today. I was so buzzed when it made it to, finally made it to number one. Dave, did we not play it on the radio? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did at one point, yeah. I think it was a week that you were in charge of the... Uh, playlist which is uh-huh. practically why it got played yeah yeah i remember yeah and also in duncan yeah and we also had a famous death that occurred on that day it was the death of former uk prime minister margaret thatcher please insert your comments in the comments no please don't i don't want to get into that complete no 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 margaret thatcher love oh i do not want to get into that be honest who went to the party But yeah, back to the wrestling. Uh, So, this edition of Raw, as I said, took place on the 8th of April of that year at the IZOD Centre. I don't know if I pronounced that right. In East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's now called the Meadowlands Arena. It can hold up to 20,000 for basketball. I'm not sure how many it actually held for this particular Raw. Uh, And actually, Actually, no, it was recently called the Meadowlands Arena before it closed in 2015. Don't know if WWE had anything to do with that, but again, I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go I, through... I think they booked start. SummerSlam uh, that year, or it might have been for 2015, but then they had to move it to Brooklyn. It definitely didn't happen in 2015, because it shut in March 2015, no, April 2015, so it must have been 2014. No, I think, I think, I, no, well, I think they booked it like a year in advance, and then it closed halfway through, so they moved it to Brooklyn. Ah, I didn't know that. Did not know that at all. Held loads of concerts, held lots of uh, sports, but I also held the uh, some UFC um, shows as well. So on to the show. The the, the show particular this one, you know, as with all raw, uh, raw after manias, there's usually some sort of big angle that takes place at the start of the show, and usually they keep it going till the end. And for this particular raw, it's centered around. The UWE champion John Cena having won the title the night before from The Rock in his once-in-a-lifetime rematch with The Great One. Uh, Essentially, Cena came out, did his usual Cena shtick, and then proclaimed that he was going to defend the championship right away, because that's the, the champion that he is, to be answered by Mark Henry. Uh... And it was later announced that these two would be fighting in the main event of the show. Now, before we obviously talk about that part of it, John, I will talk about this particular point. Uh, very safe bet for a Raw after Mania to go with Cena. This is pretty much Cena, uh, uh, pretty much playbook right away with the promo you put on here. Oh, 100%. 100%. This was just a, a full nailed on John Cena post-Mania promo you could pick out every single part of what he was pretty much going to say, and you knew the reaction he was going to get as well, especially with it being a post-mania crowd. He was going to get booed out of the building, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Alan, the booze even came before Cena came out. They kind of started that quite low key. The video package, there wasn't really a video package for Mania like they sometimes do. They just show, they went straight to commentary and showed a few stills and both him and The Rock, there wasn't really the best reaction for either of them, which just kind of summarises how a lot of fans thought about that particular Mania main event. I know you are a Rock fan, so you may think differently, but... Well, yeah, I mean, I can understand the fans being annoyed about it, but bear in mind The Rock got injured very quickly into that match, and I remember reading an interview, I think, if I remember rightly, it was CM Punk, and when they were doing the rehearsal the night before, they said Rock... Cena was going to steal the show and it was supposed to be brilliant so yeah I can understand yeah the fans frustration but bear in mind the Rock did get injured and he did stay out and fight for another half hour you know and perform um, but, and for me as well the other thing for me is it's the first time I really noticed the Europeans in the arena because they were just over here for some reason we just boo the faces cheer the heels we just do everything the opposite and it's the first time I ever really noticed it and uh, it was quite an eye-opener and uh, being as I was at that point not really knowing that much about the background of wrestling I found it hugely frustrating it really annoyed me it really irked me I remember getting quite pissed off about the Rob Boone Cena even though I was Boone Cena the night before because I wanted the Rock to win God, I mean, this is just the, the not even the tip of the iceberg for that type of stuff with the reactions we've seen on this particular show uh, Dave, your thoughts on Mark Henry being the guy to come out to face Cena. Obviously, this was the year that they had their critically acclaimed, very short feud around about Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mark Henry being the guy to come out here. Do you think that was maybe a wise choice given what happened with uh, Mark the night before? I mean, given in the years prior, you know, he went on the Hall of Pain run, and I think people absolutely loved that he not only got his dues to win his first sort of major world title, but to be booked like an absolute monster heel throughout that time, it was um, it was thoroughly earned on his part, and he did pick up a, a win the night prior, going over um, the most hate, probably one of the most hated men in wrestling right now, Ryback. Uh, but yeah, usually it's if a heel wins at Mania, they usually sort of insert themselves in contention for a title match. And I, I don't recall seeing many John Cena Mark Henry matches until obviously, as you mentioned, Money in the Bank later on. So I suppose it's only the natural thing to go forward with. It's that, and I'm pretty sure did CM Punk not face Mark Henry on the Raw after Mania the year prior? Okay, because he was on the winning Team Johnny of that year. So he, he's, Mark Henry seems to have a lot of good fortune when it comes to Raw After Mania title shots. I mean, it wasn't getting good fortune from the crowd that particular night. I mean, the sexual chocolate chants were coming right on. I thought John Cena was in some good form of the reactions to it, saying that the crowd wanted sex with chocolate and then uh. fed more. <laughs> I mean, fair play, fair play to John. John, I'll go back to you. Um, Cena looked like he was... He, he obviously knew he was going to get absolute pelts. So I think he just came out and just had fun with it because he was literally just going cheers, no cheers, no cheers. He was just like, I think he just get told go out and take the piss for ten minutes until Mark comes out. Yeah, he loved every minute of it, and I think he just soaked all that up every single time because he was getting a reaction. This this was the point I think where a lot of people, you know, as they have done throughout most of his career, wanted him to turn heel, but it wasn't it wasn't going to happen. I mean, he, he was healing in a sense that the fans were booing him anyway. But, you know, as they were getting to him, as all these chants were, were being thrown at him, he was just loving it. He was just bouncing them right back. And that is the kind of 
character you wanted and that's what you wanted out of John Cena he would like to say he was having the time of his life and fair play yeah he had a he had a good couple of years runs between this point in time because it was even though he had the belt it wasn't the main he didn't really feel like he was the centre of attention at times which was good and yeah I think he did look like he was just he knew how he, he wasn't trying to win over anybody he just knew what he was going with he was at that point in his career when, it, when he knew that he could do that and you know that wasn't going to affect him anymore he wasn't going to get hurt by the crowd having a pop at him or anything like that he was going to be fine yeah definitely uh now this obviously was the opening segment of the show and it was led to what was actually happening at the end of it now unlike what we kind of see in current wwe we didn't see you know highlights shown constantly throughout the show they kind of were they kind of knew how to do the three hour format even though it was only in there about a year you only kind of see one or two wee bits mentioned of it, but then, Alan, the thing about it is it's a three-hour Raw. The first three-hour Raw after Mania, which I forgot it was a three-hour Raw before I went agreed to host this show. <laughs> and um, this, these guys came on 15 to 10 to 15 minutes before the end, which kind of gets you a wee bit worried. They're like, right, they're going to maybe rush something here. They're not going to go out and put on a Mac Classic. Yeah, I mean... Um... Just looking at the time here, the actual match time apparently was 3 minutes 24. So, <laughs> yeah, as you say, you get to that 15 minutes, you know, you're not, for me, again, I feel like you're not even going to get a clean victory here. There's a screw coming. They've got to try and finish this in some way to keep me enticed, try and keep the buzz after Mania. Um, and I, it, it wasn't the best, for me, it wasn't the best finish. It was quite Purely, to be honest, but bit of a cop out, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, mate, absolutely. Yeah, for those who don't know, John Cena beats Mark Henry by counting out. Mark Henry kind of tries to put him through the announce table. John Cena gets out of it, gets back in the ring, obviously wins by the count out. But Dave, the whole big thing with this one, it was leading towards the post-match angle uh, to close out the. Now, usually the big, the moment it closes out the Raw after Mania is something that's memorable. One year later, we get. A very memorable moment between Evolution and Shield. This mm-hmm. year, this particular year, they went with the choice of Ryback turning heel by first coming out and attacking Mark Henry, who beat him the night before, as you mentioned earlier, and then attacking John Cena to become John Cena's rival over the next few months. Now, given if this is the the avenue of travel that they plan on going with, do you question why 24 hours before? they had Ryback lose pretty cleanly to Mark Henry. Yeah, it made zero sense, given that you know, Ryback was undefeated for most of the year, and he was originally meant to be in the six-person tag match against The Shield that night, but he ended up hastily getting booked into this one-on-one match with Mark Henry. But having him come out the loser, though, it didn't really help his case to be challenging for the WWE title, because, you know, as I said earlier, like, Mark Henry, I suppose, had had a claim to it given that he'd won the night before so but then right back just to show up do a heel turn and then say right i'm challenging you instead it was very very messy to sort of turn somebody who was very very popular throughout the 2012 2013 season of wwe only to then you know become a heel in the process but that was a time when like the fans were craving a cena heel turn like even when he was teasing it in the opening promo, he said, "How about a little heel turn?" And he literally does a <laughs> does a little sway with his foot. But it 
yeah, it was just a combination of messy booking, the wrong person turned heel, and there was just no momentum behind it. But weirdly enough, it it probably got the second biggest pop of the night, which I'm still baffled about. Maybe they just wanted to see Cena get beat up. I think it's partly they want to see Cena get beat up, and I think it was mainly that because and the impact's career. The impact's career never really recovers from this moment. Uh, and the the commentators were basically echoing the exact opposite of what the crowd was doing. They're like the crowd were just like, "God, beat him up, beat him up!" And the crowd, Michael Cole's like screaming at the top of his voice, like, "Right back, what are you doing?" <laughs> it's just such a parallel between the commentators and the audience. It's. It's quite, it, it does end up quite a disastrous year for Ryback after this because he has the feud with Cena when it's absolutely nothing in the feud. You know, it's nothing. Gets put with Heyman, the feud with Punk, and we all know how that feud is viewed historically. Mm-hmm. And then ends up in a nothing tag team with Curtis Axel. So, yeah, this is a great move for the Raw after me now. Well, John Cena is a, is a movie star. So, there we go, you know. Maybe if Ryback had won the feud, we'd have seen Ryback in the movies, you know. Maybe he would have been Peacemaker. Who knows? <laughs> you imagine. This time, rightly, was not Freddie Prince Jr. was one of the producers and directing writers for Ryback. Right. And he, I remember him saying in an interview, he said it was carnage back then. Like half the time, the talent were like minutes from going out and they had no clue what they were doing, who they were fitting. Half the time, they were like, they didn't even know who they were facing, they had nothing to put together. It was like one writer saying, You're doing this, and another writer saying, No, you're doing this, and I produced with one of your audience. And it was like, What? It was just mayhem. So you can understand looking back now after hearing for something like that, why it makes absolutely no sense about Ryback. Sounds like Raw now. I was going to say, <laughs> what does it sound? I seen a story that somebody went to announce a match and they didn't actually know who was coming out. They didn't know, they just kind of played it on the fly. And the music hit. <laughs> it's like, Unbelievable, but yeah, that the big bookend feud for this Raw after Mania was easily forgettable for many re- for the reasons we stated, but also for another moment that took place earlier in the night, which we'll go into, and I'll go back to Alan when I talk about this one. The first hour of the show, the centre of the first hour, we saw him a couple of times throughout that first hour. They came out with Big E. He was in a backstage bit, but they kind of just seen him about, and then towards the end of a match a forgettable match to be brutally honest between Alberto Del Rio against Jack Swagger and Zeb Coulter we finally get the cash in at the time the longest the man's held the briefcase of Dolph Ziggler Alan I think it's fair to say if you watch just the first few matches in this particular raw this is the moment the crowd want absolutely I mean like just looking at the matches you get a very green Biggie Langston who actually cracks AJ and they open up against Daniel Bryan, Mason Barrett was fighting for the Intercontinental title, which popped and did, well, did the hokey cokey, let's be honest. And then obviously the Del Rio match, uh, not, nothing particularly special, but I reckon the last time I heard a pop that loud was probably when The Rock was announced as the host of Mania 27. It was just nobody really, people were kind of hoping for it, but nobody's seen it coming. And it was just everyone. Everyone universally was just like, yes, do it. And it was just, oh, it was magnificent. It was just played perfectly. And for me, I know a lot of people talk about um, Seth Rollins' cash in the 31 has been the greatest. And it may possibly will be, but this is my personal favourite cash in. This one, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was played perfectly. 
it's a tough one to top. It's very the, the problem this and Ron's are two of the two top cash probably edge as well, the actual very first uh when the bank cash in. Uh John, it's interesting because we go back to the night before again and you know, Del Rio and Swagger have a match for the world title, which had a decent build, but Jack Swagger kind of buggered it for himself by getting, you know, a DUI uh, and getting his mania entrance cut, which means, you know, that they didn't really give a fuck about this match, which made people think maybe they should have done the cash in for Ziggler then. Now, having looked back now on this Raw, do you think, could you imagine what this Raw would have been like without the Dolph moment? Yeah, I think it would have been, you know, we wouldn't certainly be talking about it in the same way that we are right now because that really did kind of have a big impact on how this role was seen. If he'd done that at WrestleMania, I'd, I'd, you know, he would have taken the title. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think it would have had the same impact as it did with him doing it because of the reaction that he got and the crowd being so hot for Ziggler that night, as they have been for so long, even now, you know, they, they still want... Dolph Ziggler to succeed but yeah I mean like you said Jack Swagger just screwed up for himself and uh, yeah I mean uh, you you look back now don't you you look at that match Del Rio and Jack Swagger that is just god awful and yeah I I mean I'm it was that moment I, I certainly will never forget that moment seeing it and watching that reaction like you said I think that's got to be in the top cashing reactions without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I loved Seth's, but that one was something else. Just because everybody was so up for him winning that title. And yeah, it, it was one of those moments, like you say, it was good. You know, this whole event was going to be, you know, centered around Cena, but that moment outshone everything. I think with the, the Dolph moment, you got a lot more time to kind of take it in because he actually comes out, you actually... Yeah. You have a bit more, he, he, he takes his time coming down because he knows he doesn't need to rush because Del Rio's absolutely done in. We get the build up to the match. Well, as the Rollins one is literally like full speed for the full time, he launches down. But it was a shock, the, wasn't it? This was yeah. something that everybody wanted. That was a genuine shock. Nobody yeah. thought that he was going to cash that in because everyone just thought it was going to be Brock and, and, and Roman. So when he came out, that's when the crowd lit up because nobody expected it. This was something that everybody wanted and that's why they exploded then. It was a different reaction, a different excitement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Dave, as I've mentioned, you know, they were being for the moment throughout even the first couple of matches. You know, there was the... Big time. The, the, the minute that... The minute the blooming the bell rings for this match, Dave, it is literally, mm. we want Ziggler, we want Ziggler. You know? <sighs> yeah, like... Del Rio swagger, the feud uh, didn't exactly set the world on fire, and obviously swagger's uh, getting busted for being DUI. I think it was. It, it really hampered his 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 chances of capturing the world title on WrestleMania. But I don't think even at that point, everybody just only cared about Ziggler because you had a very bland babyface champion who worked better as a heel anyway and then you had a returning Jack Swagger who I mean sure he had a new character and a new lease on life but it was his own fault that he screwed up his push and the the match was dead in the water come Wrestlemania time so but these guys you know they ended up getting a, a lengthy like one of the longer matches on the night just 11 minutes 15 seconds in that handicap match and the crowd alone is what 
they were just so clear that they wanted Ziggler to cash in. Like, and I, I still recall even the weeks leading up to the last, the Money in the Bank the year prior, they were still screaming for him to be the one to win the briefcase. Even like when he cut that amazing promo during, I think it was that that web series uh, where he hosted WWE's own version of You've Been Framed. He cut a scathing promo at the end of one of those. And that said to me, right, this has to be the guy to, to win it. And when he finally did cash in, it was like all those months of anticipation and just patiently waiting for him to get his moment. It all it all came out, even when it was a slightly longer cash in match than you than you'd normally see. I remember the end of 2012 absolutely breaking it because they put Messina in the ladder match for the briefcase. Mm. And you're like, oh my God, Cena ain't losing this. And then obviously AJ screws Cena. And then that's how this comes about. <laughs> well, literally or metaphorically? Metaphorically. We're not talking about <laughs> She's happily married to Mr. Brooks at this particular time. Yeah, that's true. You know, oh, and pretty much was at this point. I think they were just going to start there a couple at that point. I'm not going to speculate on the love life of CM Punk and AJ Lee in 2013. That's a, for, for, for a future show. But yeah, the cash in a great moment and it's, pro- it's arguably the easiest one to remember when you look back on this Raw because there's a lot there. Obviously, it's a three hour Raw, so a lot does happen. But there's so many moments in there that are a bit meh. But there's one that stands out to me uh, Dave, I'll go back to you, that I still love the kind of many kind of find they did. And it's when we get the appearance from The Undertaker mm-hmm. round about in the middle of the show. Now, earlier on in the night, during, it was kind of a throwaway moment in Daniel Bryan's entrance that we got Michael Cole talking about a tweet that The Shield has sent out saying that something was going to go down tonight, you know, as what early shield stuff does all of a sudden they always make, try to make an impact amazing for them that they, they, they chose on this particular night to then target the Undertaker and that same Undertaker gets a couple of words out he's about to dedicate his winning the night, the night before to Paul Bearer we get the shield coming out they kind of tease something only for then Team Hell No to run interference and mm. this then leads to the match I think it's a week later in the UK now, Dave, I will say that how good is great is this that the Undertaker has agreed to then to give these guys this moment on this the biggest raw of the year. Oh, I think it just amplified you know how much progress the Shield had made in the space of what three, four months uh, since first appearing at TLC the year prior. You know, they they just went through three-person teams. You know, they didn't really stand out as single stars as of yet. It was more. They were kind of like what the Nexus should have been with less than half the half the numbers. It was just a, a team that was booked so well. And for them to go over big names such as John Cena, Randy Orton, Big Show, Sheamus, like it it just goes to show how how much stock that WWE was investing in this new team. And it shined through because each of them not just shine as a team, but they shine as individuals in their own way with their own unique style. So having them do a program with The Undertaker of all people, I mean, that's, I think that's as much praise as you can give to a bunch of up and coming stars who have just captured the imagination of the audience. And it, it creates a new team for, well, a new combination of a different team for The Shield to go up against because they've beaten Team Hell No multiple times. They 
won the tag titles from him at Extreme Rules a couple of weeks after. But getting to do a six-man match with The Undertaker in the UK, I mean, that match alone, I think, probably sold the event. <laughs> but I'm just speculating here. It's, But yeah, it just goes it just goes to show like how big the Shield were getting at that point. And it was just another big step up for them. Yeah, uh, Alan, it's, uh, it's crazy to look back in the Shield many years later, just how much they've all evolved as performers. I mean... Rollins has thankfully dyed his hair. Ambrose has lost his hair. And uh, Roman has lost his uh, bulletproof vest. No, in all seriousness, they, 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 it's, it's great watching them then, what they've become now. Yeah, I mean, I've said this in a previous show. That for me, the, the Shield are the greatest trio in the history of wrestling because you had Ambrose was the one you wanted to listen to. Rollins was the one you wanted to watch fight and Roman was the, the big powers you just wanted to be the champion destroy everyone and they all kind of hit that point also for me I'd probably say the last time you've seen somebody even when they were really you know, the pun, raw when they first came out and you just seen that's the talent that's the person was probably The Rock back in 96 and for me personally there really wasn't anyone that kind of stood out that instant impact scene I didn't have it you know, uh, Batista, Orton, uh, you know, was it Lesnar? They, they had they had something, but they didn't have that wow star impact. Whereas these three boys came down in turtlenecks, and everyone just went, "Woof, that's your guys, that's them, that's your future of wrestling," and they have just lived up to that height. And you know, if the Undertaker's prepared to put you over and get in the ring with you, it shows that you're going to fill back in that entire locker room. Um, in everyone in the industry then and he was absolutely right because you know Roman's probably the biggest star in the world in regards to wrestling right now uh, Mox is arguably the biggest guy in AEW the biggest name in AEW and then you've got you know, Rollins who's probably the biggest name in Raw as well I mean he's not wrong mm-hmm. yeah John on another side though it's interesting how you have the when we look at the, the first match that's on this Card, the one we mentioned briefly, the Biggie Daniel Bryan match. It's interesting how, like, an hour later, the two of them have just kind of completely diverged like, from each other. Like, they forgot because Biggie's now with Dolph as the champ, and then Kane and Bryan just jump straight back in with The Undertaker. I mean, that's. It's, I, I don't even get why they have that first match. It's just kind of to kill time, I think. But Is it because Raw was, was three hours long and they had to fill it? <laughs> yeah, that'll be it, won't it? You know, it's, it's filling time and getting these guys on there. And, and, and again, I mean, putting those two together at the time in Big E's career wasn't a bad move because you put you put anyone in the ring with Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. They're instantly going to get better because he's going to be able to control them around that match and and of course it was the instant yeah with the yeah with this wasn't it with Big E just accidentally elbowed AJ on the way down you could tell he, he was very new to coming off the back of NXT into this and and he was still quite new but putting him in there with Daniel Bryan who instantly would calm you right down that was a, a probably quite a good move but then like you said you know the they're then on opposite ends of things that you know Big E's there with with Dolph and, and the big gold and then you've got Daniel Bryan mixing it up with arguably the greatest character in WWE WWF history 
and it's it is amazing and it's so mad to see their careers further down the line as well but our, our, when we were talking about it then and you you know we were discussing the shield that whole moment with the undertaker just popped right back into my head from from that raw in uk uh just it just pops straight back in doesn't it they're, they're going through a table and all that it was just straight back the whole presentation of that particular match on that raw is brilliant because the shield the shield arrive in the helicopter that night as well yeah come in and then take up take up does great with it take um i think i takes the bumps and smack down off them as well and then break yeah. himself off till the shade i think he breaks himself off till the sh- not the shade the brock stuff like the, the year later because mm. of the shields so and, the, and that puts puts them over even more doesn't it oh they look like yeah everybody everyone involved in that and even like yeah we can we can say even with you know the, the the situation with Big E and Dolph all those people got that massive rub just from being in those spots Big E getting that spot because he's associated with the champion Daniel Bryan and Kane getting big rubs because they're hanging around with the Undertaker and teaming up with him the Shield because they're against him and beating him down you know th- that's career making stuff right there yeah it's it's it's, 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 it's great to watch I, I love going back and watching that because it is some fantastic stuff for the Shield and it's, it's very it's a very brief segment but it is one that particularly stands out again like I said because it's Raw after Mania it's very little that stands out yeah <laughs> sometimes when they do stuff like that you know it can be small but it will live long in the memory and it will be impactful yeah definitely definitely so I also think while we've been talking about that we've also covered quite a lot of the Big E Daniel Bryan match because Last for two minutes and very little goes on. Mm. But you mean, uh, Brian just gets the the chance that he deserves because he's that popular with the crowd, and obviously that was when he started his big rise to superstardom against John Cena at SummerSlam. So the momentum was was very clearly there. The whole weakest link storyline for him was a bit of a waste of time. But as Alan mentioned earlier, the funniest moment of that whole segment was Biggie uh, clocking AJ right in the mouth when he did his shoulder stretch <laughs> oh thank you you know enough sensor to the next postcode <laughs> whatever, whatever it's called in, the, in america it's, it's it's very 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 amusing but dave i will go back to you because that match is followed by a rematch from wrestlemania the night before or on the wrestlemania pre-show but for the intercontinental title it's the miz defending the title that he won the night before from from wade barrett this is interesting. They get 13 minutes here to go yeah. at it again. I'm not 100% sure. You're a, you're a resident man on the stats. Mm-hmm. Is that longer than the match they get the night before? It was five minutes longer. Just just under five minutes longer. It was 8.15 on WrestleMania. It was, what was it, 13 on the dot? 13 on the dot, aye. 13 on the dot, yeah. But yeah, so their match on the Raw after lasted longer than their WrestleMania match, and it actually got on the main card as opposed to the pre-show. But I'm pretty sure it was raining as well uh, on the pre-show as well. So it was like when Face Miz comes out, it just rained on everybody's parade because nobody liked Face Miz. And you can just tell by the crowd reaction. They hated him. Now, obviously, Miz gets hated wherever he goes, just when he's a heel. But this was a... This was Miz when he's meant to be a face character, and people, I think, hated that even more. Like, 
and obviously, you know, there was a a largely more European audience in there because people were flying over for Mania the night before. So, and there's a strong section of mostly like UK fans as well. So you could just tell like whenever Wade Barrett is on the post Mania show, you know, he's going to get cheered just because of the, um, just because he's obviously a, he's a British competitor. And to be honest, I think he deserved a lot more during his time in WWE, not just a few I mean, five-time Intercontinental Champion is still impressive, but he had the potential to be world champion. Although, I'm not really a huge fan of rematches the night after, and then the result just goes in reverse, because Miz won at WrestleMania, but Barrett wins this one to become a three-time champion. I don't know if it was um, maybe just for the sake of appeasing to the crowd, but Barrett, I think, needed more momentum out of it. And I think the commentators said, uh, or I don't know if... JBL mentioned that the crowd were quite an opinionated bunch, but yeah, it's, it, again, it just sort of ties into you know the crowd having a a major impact on this show. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Miz gets his post Mania win thing with the IC title a couple of few years later with Ryder, uh, mm. and it's also it's also quite weird that you think about Dave. You mentioned the Miz being a hated face at this point. <laughs> There's a pay per view they did at the end of the year before where it's face Miz. Oh he's yes, g- he's given the partner of a now turning face Alberto Del Rio, Rio and the Brooklyn oh, Brawler against Free MB, <laughs> <laughs> the most random booking I've ever seen. Except maybe the because we posted a graphic in the group chat from a Sunday Night Heat booking. I think it was Brian Kendrick, Charlie Haas, and Robbie from the Highlanders against what was it, Viscera. Uh, and uh, a couple other teams, just solo members of six different teams going up against each other. Is Robbie the Highlander that gets sacked because he went to TNA? Aye, that's him. On the WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> uh, Alright, you know what's mad? Like, looking back at how the Highlanders looked, you, you'd think they were like Poundland versions of the Viking Raiders. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, Alan, as I go back and try and find this graphic that Dave was just discussing so I can clarify it, Another mental aspect of this time, the Miz using the figure four leg lock. <laughs> yeah, Brick Flair kind of passed it over to him. Um, I mean, like, see, to be honest, I didn't really hate his face, his face run. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. I mean, yeah, he had his back up against him because he'd been a heel for so long, and he's. He was it was kind of shown his green side again, you know, when he like when he won the title uh, two years earlier going into Mania. But I thought he did not bad with the figure four. I kind of liked it as well because you know if, if one of the greatest of all time is giving you the recognition, use my move. You know, it shows what he thinks and what the company thinks. And to be fair, we've said this several times. Miz is one of the most underrated superstars in the history of the business. He doesn't get the recognition he deserves. You know, he's the only two-time Grand Slam champion in the history of wrestling. And well, respect on WWE anyway. I mean, he, and he's been there for what best part of twenty years, nearly. You know, he just doesn't get the recognition he deserves. So I wasn't necessarily against it, but. You know, as they said, there was a lot of people that were against him at that time, and I just feel his long-term heel run just never gave him a chance. John, I, found the, I found the graphic, by the way. It was, was Brian, yeah, Brian Kendrick, Val Venus, and Super Crazy against Snitsky, Charlie Haas, and Robbie from the Highlanders. 
Oh, didn't even get a visitor. Nice. Well, let down that is. Uh, John, I'll go back to you. But, um, we'll, flip, we'll flip it to the Wade Barrett side of this thing. Um, I think he has now a good, like, this is the beginning of a good, like, two, three years or something like that, that he just flip-flops around that IC title. <laughs> you know, and I think this is probably the most overnight that he ever has as a oh, yeah. superstar. Yeah, I think definitely the most over that he had as a, a superstar, apart from probably the debut when that that whole Nexus angle Nexus. went down, because that was that was massive, and you know another ball dropped. But you know, as you were saying, this this was this was a match where they just wanted Ziggler, uh, Ziggler, sorry, the the Miz to lose, and he was super over. I I still don't get these matches, and again, I I, I didn't really get it with Miz and Ryder. Why you have the title flip flop twenty four hours later? I just I never got it. I it it still doesn't compute to me whatsoever. And yeah, it still baffles me. But Wade Barrett, as as we've all been saying, that I think he had a lot more to offer than he did. Um, his career just went downhill because I th- I don't think they they had enough for him or they didn't really get him. And couldn't do much with him, you know. He, when you think of like the British superstars, there you're either William Regal or you're the British Bulldog. You know, it is. It was difficult for for someone like him to kind of get over because he wasn't the gentleman, and he also wasn't that jacked up fella like the British Bulldog. He was a big, big, big guy, but he wasn't the same, and he didn't have that same character. He was a more refined fighter, in a way. I, I don't think he really just works. I mean, Bad News Barrett ended up working. And again, like you say, you know, he had that great run, but then League of Nations, straight back down again. So this was probably where he was the most over. And it's a shame, you know, he, he, he could have gone on to do so much more. That Intercontinental title should have been a step for him to move up further. And he never did it. I think he got a bit of bad luck. I think it was 2011. Like 2011. Mm, yeah, he gets that. Is it an elbow injury against or a shoulder so. injury? Yeah, it yeah. was a it was a battle royal to determine CM Punk's challenger for Mania 28, and Ziggler got thrown out, uh, and it basically it bent Barrett's arm backwards, and it basically messed his elbow up really badly. Yeah, he just never he never recovered from that because he had the feud at the, the the end of the year prior with Orton. Maybe Christian mm. was involved in that as well. I can't remember, but he was got a problem in part of the SmackDown side of things. And then, yeah, it just kind of he got that injury, and kind of this was he struggled to get back to that level. He was always just the IC title level, you know. But they get thirteen minutes here. This is that is that's quite a crazy one. It's a big, yeah. It was a big match, and like I said, I mean, the, the crowd hated the Miz. It, it was just they were booing him out of the building again. It was that was Cena level hate he was getting, yeah. you know, and and. Barrett with that bull hammer, which always looked vicious, won the title back. Happy days. Yeah. Much better than his wasteland finisher. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. The bull hammer looks so much better. Yeah, wasteland was terrible. Just like he dropped him. Oh, no. Dropped him like a sack of totties, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Struggling to hold him. Now, uh, Alan, we've we obviously talked a uh, great bit of detail about the Dolph Ziggler cash in, and what better way to bring the audience down? A random six-man tag. Dave talked about that random one on Heat Allen. 
And on this particular Raw, we got 3MB taking on the trio of Santino Marella, Zack Ryder, and R-Truth. I mean, when... I mean, you, I know you want to... I know you want to talk in great detail, Alan, about this particular match. Well, let's break it down a wee bit. You do need a bit of comedy, right? And this is your comedy match. You know, you've got Santino, who can be... Let's be honest, he can be absolutely hysterical, right? When he puts his mind to it. You've got R-Truth, who is possibly the funniest wrestler in history. Zack Ryder, he was kind of over with the whole internet thing around about this era. And then you've got CMB, who are just an absolute laughing stock at this point. And you think, you know, within you know five years, two of them are former WWE champions. Um, it's, it's a future WWE champions. It's mental, you think that. So you get your, you get your comedy match. It's nothing special. Uh, you get what you expect, the faces to win. But, you know, it's a filler. It's just because, um, like John said earlier, a three-hour show. If it was a two-hour show, this match probably wouldn't have made the card. Um, which is a shame because if you look back, you know, there's a lot of talent in that ring. There's a lot of really good wrestlers. I mean, Zack Ryder never really got the opportunity in WWE. You see him now, NWA World Champion. You know, he's done really, really well outside WWE. Um, so it just shows, like... It's great to have the comedy wrestling, but if you're just going to stick with that and never give the person the chance to develop, this is going to be the highlight show, which sadly, for like Santino and Zack Ryder and r it kind of has been, as well as Keith Slater, I suppose. I mean, Dave, the thing about it as well is, like, this was a point in time where Santino was, to your horror and to your hate, was very fresh off of a... He was very fresh off of the kind of stuff with the rumble and that type of stuff the year before. So he was still kind of a very hot property. He was the US champion for a good while as well. Mm. Same as Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder was very fresh off a, a very, you know, you know, popular run as well. So it may have just been a case of the, the you, that the, these were guys that the crowds particularly may have took to and they just wanted to give them a shot. Truth as well, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was before R-Truth was in his prime with the 24-7 title booking, but he was still relatively popular overall. But I get what you were saying about Santino's booking over the last couple of years, because he was obviously one of the, the final two in the 2011 Rumble. 2012, he made it to the last two of the Elimination Chamber. He captained Team Teddy at Mania 28. He, I don't think he was on Mania 29, though. I think he was sort of left off in that instance. But the point was, I think 3MB were supposed to make to look like idiots uh because you know they were they were basically the the jobber squad before you know the social outcasts came along also as headed by Heath Slater but you in this day and age you know with a, when you get a match that lasts you know just over three minutes it's just mad to think that nearly 10 years ago Santino Morella was going over Drew McIntyre like it's in today's times that would have been madness to think about but yeah it this definitely felt like a piss break match you know just like almost like one of those sort of halftime shows you get you know say oh we're just gonna give you a little breather just catch your reclaim your reclaim your thoughts for the next segment uh but yeah it it was a it was a piss break match nothing more that can really be said uh, it literally follows they have the cash in stuff and then they have the taker stuff kind of back to back. So I think they kind of needed something to kind of like, right, we need to, we need 
to give them a bit of a breather. John, I was kind of watching this segment and I couldn't remember exactly how this goes, but I thought, I thought when I was watching it, is this the segment where Brock Lesnar comes out and battles three MB? To my annoyance, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's I remember that segment now, but yeah, it wasn't this one, was it? I would have wanted it to be this one because you know otherwise I might have just skipped the match <laughs> I mean, it was such a shame like you look at the talent in a sense I was in 3MB and they were just they were the jobbers but then also Santino and and his crew there were also not exactly yeah racking up the wins every week this was as you said the, the piss break stroke palate cleanser and um it's, isn't it crazy now that we look back? What this is nine years ago. I know it's already been mentioned about Zack Ryder being the NWA champion now. Our truth is still a, a prominent part of that twenty-four-seven scene and doing his thing. Santino's daughter has just been signed by WWE. Drew McIntyre, multi-time world champion. Jinder Mahal, WWE champion, and now Heath Slater running things in Impact. This is crazy just to see all these guys going off doing that stuff, and and they were in that jobber match. It's it's really, it's really interesting because Zack Ryder now is what Drew was eight, yeah. years, eight seven years ago when he got released. Zack Ryder that, does that. He's if, done that same thing, hasn't he? He's gone away and proved himself, and and I've got all the respect in the world for him for doing that. If, see if Zack Ryder signs back with WWE in a year's time, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, it look it's like it's like the the Cody situation, isn't it? Yeah. In in the end, and this is you know something one of my bosses years ago said to me, and he said sometimes you got to go away to come back. And sometimes you have to, you've got to go away and you've got to pull your pants up and go, right, I'm going to prove to you that I can do it here. But I'll go and do it over here first. And I'll show you how good I am. Yeah, definitely. And uh, all those guys, all those guys, all six of them, you know, have gone and done that, in a sense. Pretty much the only guy, I mean, if you count, you can technically count, Slater kind of went back for one night. So if Ryder was to do it, the only guy I hadn't, went away and came back with Santino because Truth did it Truth went to TNA he did yeah so they were known you know if if Cody came back last night uh, two nights ago then or three nights ago then his pals his best Zack Ryder's one of his best pals so you never know what could happen right so then we go on to the next point of the match uh, or the show sorry Um, Dave I apologise in advance I'll come to you first on what felt like a show-long angle of up until the point of the match. After what happened the night before between Sheamus, Randy Orton, and the Big Show <laughs> during the six-man tag with the Shield. Uh, this was my favourite segment of the entire night. Not to do with anything to do with the match or the competitors because both Sheamus and Orton came out to zero reaction. Like, I watched it back a couple of times. The crowd is tone silent. Like, you could hear a pin drop in that audience if the music wasn't playing. And it all came about because Big Show punched them both and they both wanted a one-on-one match, so they ended up facing each other. Like, this was what... This was like the 
I mean, if, if the 3MB match wasn't the piss break match, you could have gone away, made yourself your dinner, come back, and you probably wouldn't have missed anything, because, except unless you wanted to see the crowd's response, because the list of chants and the list of actions that the crowd did just made it some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen like a crowd do since probably Raw Glasgow when they were cheering for Bailey like for about 10 minutes straight. This this amount of chanting was this was this crowd at its peak and it's what I think made the night so entertaining despite all the, the mixed booking that was going on. God, I am. I remember this match being an absolute shower of absolute dullness. <laughs> so I didn't really. This is actually what I skipped when I, when I went to yeah. watch it. I remember the chance. Uh, John, is there any what chance did we get again? Because some of the chances Dave mentioned are quite funny. There was an RVD chant mm-hmm. quite randomly uh, at one point, um, and Cole said that they were chanting his name as well because uh, yeah, they were all the commentators got chants and again they were just like oh, fuck this we'll just like we'll just acknowledge them acknowledge these chants and i think jbl got the camera pointed at one point yeah he said these folks are brilliant after the crowd begins chanting his name yeah he's just like this is just crazy i mean like they they did not they did not care for that match at all absolutely shit on it we're you know talking about people that aren't there chanting for the announcers i mean when do the announcers ever get chance i mean seriously i mean when, when you are chanting for jbl then <laughs> my word i have um, i have i have went onto reddit and found uh, the thread that contains everything that was chanted it Amazing. starts with there was they chanted for uh, near enough everything bar orton and sheamus some of the names mentioned included presiding referee mike yoda then former WWE wrestler Rob Van Dam, as we mentioned, color commentator JBL, color commentator Jerry Law, play-by-play commentator Michael Cole, considered to be a terrible commentator by many hardcore fans, <laughs> uh, ring announcer Justin Roberts, deceased wrestler Chris Benoit, oh Jesus, uh, defunct promotion ECW, <laughs> retired wrestler Shawn Michaels, my personal favourite of this list, the arena's roaming ice cream salesman. <laughs> the big show when he comes out <laughs> themselves and a chair <laughs> one more chair one more chair oh my jesus it was just it was just crazy wasn't it i mean that that, that is a that is a post mania moment where you know you're going to get that crowd as jerry lawler always used to say from bizarro land yeah and they they're going to do something wild yeah i mean Alan, to kind of go talk more about the, the madness of this whole kind of segment. It also reminded me, I forgot, I actually pretty much forgot in my head that Seamus was at one was a face because yeah. it comes into it comes into Vicky and another guy I forgot was employed by WWE, Brad Maddox, his office, and I'm like, oh, there's that arsehole Seamus, and it's like, oh fuck, Seamus was a face then. <laughs> it's just this whole thing is just it's just a. From a WWE booking standpoint, it's a disaster. From a fan's point of view, it's hilarious looking back on it. I'm going to have to look at the match again because at one point, I've just seen this report here. They're saying when they when the crowd started chanting for Randy Savage, you could see Orton get visibly annoyed. And he lost. they said that that was the cardinal sin. You have lost the crowd. I'm going to have to find that little moment where they're chanting for Randy Savage and if Orton loses it. No, I found it. Orton was really was putting on like a, a face that was like 
puzzled, but also uh, almost a face of disappointment in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alan. It's it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a moment that uh, WWE they try. I think they try to avoid every mania now because of this. This is like the you know blueprint for what they try to avoid. Yeah. This is what they hate. If they like to control the narrative and see when they can't, you know, let's be honest, very few people in that arena are probably sober. So you've got yeah. very rowdy, drunk mix of Americans and Europeans and everyone else from everywhere else. It's, you're just not, you're going to accept you're not going to have your way. You're going to be outnumbered and they're going to chant for whoever the hell they want and you just need to let them go on with it. And, uh, <laughs> Like I'm literally, I'm literally looking at the video now of them and it's all their chants. They're going RVD, 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 JBLs. It's just one of those matches. It's just a shame because I feel for guys like in the ring because I know what happened to uh, Rollins and Ziggler, two out of this world wrestlers, but nobody gave a shit. You know, it's just one of those things. You just need to sit there and accept it. Um, at the same time, that's what makes the Raw after Mania the Raw after Mania because it is literally so unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get. One of my favourite ones with the crowd does is see when they, I see the year did the beach ball. Yeah. I think somebody tries to do it at another show and Cesaro like, was in his corner for the tag match and just whoa, jumps the barricade and gets the beach ball and just barf. No, Cesaro. Was Cesaro. that actually our mania? No, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it busts the ball, sorry, it doesn't batter the ball, it just busts it. I remember I that. I, I don't think that was a post-mania one, I think it no, just kind of happened. That, the beach ball stuff happened on a post-mania and then this instant happened later on. Was it not on SummerSlam one year where he was uh, as part of the bar and he was actually competing during the match and it just like took a few seconds, he just got off the apron, literally went over the barrier, grabbed it and then burst it. It was, it was quite a very off-script moment. It's hilarious. It's just how quick, how fast it goes in. Uh, yeah, this is a night. It, it's a big show's biggest pop in years as well when he comes out. Uh, I mean, big show at this point was as dull as dishwasher. This, this dishwater at this point in time, you know. Probably, I don't think big show would be no. Big show's never really had a cheer since then. I was going to say maybe when he showed up in AEW, but he'd be ever appears there. So it's yeah, it's just that. I mean, Orton's kind of Orton's recovered from it easily enough. Sheamus, I don't think he's ever peaked much again. He's just kind of in the middle of it. But yeah, this is pretty much not a good look for any of the guys involved in this particular match. Speaking of guys who maybe didn't come off good from their moment on this particular Raw, John, I will go to you in the next match, which was uh, Fandango, who the night before won his WWE debut match at WrestleMania against Chris Jericho and is then given a match with Kofi Kingston. Now, before we get on to the match itself, uh, or the actual what happens during the match and that type of stuff, Dave kind of alluded to it during his introduction to the show. The crowd react quite fondly to Mr. Dango's engines music. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it, I mean, it was an absolute jam, let's face it. It was brilliant. Uh, Fandango. Uh, it was it was wild. I, I don't think they expected that to get over in the way it did at all. Um, <laughs> Michael Cole even pointed out saying they're actually humming Fandango's entrance theme here. <laughs> it was absolutely unbelievable. 
And yeah, I I can't believe how quickly he got over. I I thought it was hilarious. Like the whole thing was just hilarious. But yeah, he went. I I was still so shocked that he went over Jericho at Mania. <laughs> like completely, just like what the hell has just happened here? And then of course, you know Jericho came and 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 did what he did here. But yeah, with Fandango and Kofi Kingston, that was a Kofi again can make anybody look good, and he you know these two had a you know did what he did. But oh yeah, well you know the beating had to happen, didn't it? Yeah, uh, Alan, as John alluded to there, kind of the match only goes on just over a minute before Chris Jericho decides to come out and extract revenge from Fandango for the night before. Now, as a wrestling fan, I mean, if you have a guy who gets who win, who gets put over big at the biggest night of the year, only for then the next night to get absolutely beat up, you've got to think there's some sort of like reaction backstage going should we have done this clearly that's what maybe what they maybe thought obviously before the, the entrance music got over um i don't know um like he was always meant to go over and i just don't think people realize the impact he was going to have and like how you know the streak began <laughs> after his victory over Deco. So like for me it kinda makes sense. It's the heel has been pissed off. It feels like the new guy just came in and stole one from him. He's got every right to feel pissy and he's going to come in and attack. So for me the story works. I don't have a problem with it. I know people do, but I don't. Interesting, uh, Dave, what do you think about the the story? Are you kinda why say that you're going on with? I think WWE ended up getting cold feet, if I'm being honest. Because I think, well, Chris Jericho's no stranger to putting guys over. Like, he did it with with Kofi, funnily enough, uh, 2008's Night of Champions pay-per-view to win his first Intercontinental title. So I suppose it's, um, I think, I think they did it for the purposes of Jericho being, you know, a guy who's good at putting people over and they wanted to do it for somebody who had a, they had a series of vignettes leading up to their first match. You know, Fandango had, you know, a couple of... He had those Veer Mahan promos, shall we say. Like, say, Fandango is coming to Raw, etc. And he gets his first match at Mania. So, it's... I think Mania might have been the worst time to give him his first victory. You know, I think if they did it on this Raw after Mania, it would have made more sense. But when, when you've got WrestleMania and the eyes of the world are watching, you know, a seasoned veteran like Chris Jericho going up against a very fresh-faced Fandango. But then again, he did have a sort of developmental period as Johnny Curtis when he won season four of NXT. So I guess people sort of knew who he was, but he just didn't have the character to back him up. Um, but I no, mean, I as... Oh, man, him and, him and EC3 fighting over the... The hand of what surface on that show? I can't mind their name. Maxine, uh, I mean, you know, that, Max, that, that, was, yes. that was great telling. Um, well, it wasn't exactly full sale NXT or black and gold NXT because <laughs> I tell you what, that's when that show got so much better and way and well worth watching. But all right, but going back to Jericho and Fandango, I think this match would have been that match would have been more suited to Raw after Mania than anything else. I think obviously, like oh, he was, you know. It got the reaction he did here because everyone knew that theme from Mania. 
and it picked up from there. So everyone just went wild because of his yeah. of his theme. So I guess there's, there's you know that kind of excuse for booking him in that way and putting him on yeah and having Jericho coming back to get his his heat here it got you know what's mad as well Fandango's team broke the UK top 40 broke it did UK didn't top it 40, uh, because of that because of those chants there was also um, there was talk at one point that at payback he was due to win the IC title and he got concussed just before mm-hmm. it yep and they put they put Axel on the match and Axel won it so, and, uh, yeah, he, he, then, he went into the Money in the Bank ladder match later that year as well, but he was just a, a spot filler at that point. Because yeah, that was the point where the the World Heavyweight title, Money in the Bank, was all the kind of fresh guys. Yeah, it was an all it was it was an all heel ladder match. Ah, yeah. Well, guy, Cody Rhodes was a ma- ended up the match as a massive face, you know. But yeah, it was an all he- all heel ladder the, match. That the last. One. The last thing I had about this match is A, Fandango's Nevertonian, so you know well, I've, I've got to have words with him for that. Um, but JBL may have had a, a, a sort of semi-vision of the future. He said, we need combat pay. We should start doing this remote. He, he JBL, he, he thought in 2013 about remote working. He saw the future. Mad. And yet... The announced team never does remote working in the <laughs> <laughs> They were always there. Never Imagine just like zooming in. That'll be amazing. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be class. That'd be, that'd be something. I think they did that on NXT UK when it launched back, but I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. We have one more match slash angle to go, and Alan, I'll come back to you on this particular one. Interesting. This was a match that was supposed to be on the WrestleMania card itself got dropped with absolutely no warning on the night and put to raw it was the eight-man tag it was tons of funk and the funkadactyls taking on team road scholars which was uh, damien sandow and cody Rhodes and the bella twins first of all Alan, what was your thoughts on them actually taking this off mania and putting this onto this raw well if i remember rightly the reason they took it off mania is because they overran yeah and, so <laughs> it was like i remember going to the event going the people always with him like I'm today perfect tag and I was like no no that's kind of right that's kind of right and they were like oh they're obviously going to do it for all so it was like oh well they do really care it was like a two minute conversation it was like alright okay Rock's seen up okay let's go um, and then it just shows what the thought of the match the fact that it was two minutes 25 seconds nobody cared nobody's interested they just considered this match a jobber match so yeah, then that's exactly what it was. It was. I don't even remember watching the match. I remember when I was watching us live. I actually went to the toilet and came back out and it was over. So. Uh, I remember, similarly to you, I was at the Kerman's house for this one. And they still slagged, I think they, they slagged me off at it for years because I was very much like the main event came on. And I was like, where's Brodus? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, so, became a many Brodus Clay fan as a result because I just said, randomly shouted Where's Brodus? Uh, I don't even know what Brodus is these days so I think he's Tyrus in um, uh, NWA he's, uh, he's, he's one of their champions Oh god I saw he is I can't believe that's mental Guy couldn't wrestle for shit <laughs> But uh, uh, Dave I'll go back to you in this particular one um, You look at the talent in this particular eight man tag there is um 
technically only two of them still in. Well, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I, need, I need to word this right. There may be three of them still in WWE. There's definitely two. The ones I'm talking about being Tensai, Matt Bloom, and Naomi. It's, talk about Naomi in this particular one. It's, it's quite good to see her how she's came on from this moment to being uh, essentially scrapped to being one of the best athletes on the female roster. It's mad to think, you know, she's been with WWE for 11 years now or 12 years now, I think, because the female NXT season might have been 2010, end of 2010. Yeah, yeah besides, that's besides the point. Naomi was the tr- one of the true standout stars of that season and it's her longevity just proves, you know, how far she's she's come. This match in particular, though, like in hindsight, you think, well, you really see how far she has come a long way. But I recall watching the first episode of Total Divas just to just have a look at it and see what it was all about. And the main focus of that episode was the the Bellas getting cut from WrestleMania along with, uh, well, Trinity and Ariane, if we were using actual first names here it was but then again they did get the match this night it barely last it it didn't even last two and a half minutes it was you could have squeezed that in if you just cut you know if you cut the triple h lesnar match and the cm punk taker match by about a minute or so and you'd have enough time to fit everything in but you know, when you've got that many competitors, you're really gonna have to rush things. Two and a half minutes for eight people to get a a good, a decent showing. One of which has Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow, Team Rhodes Scholars, who were actually making waves as a tag team in the at the end at the end of the year of the previous year. Yeah. They even did a segment with The Rock, for God's sake. I I think if I remember rightly, it was probably the Triple H Lesnar one that run that ran over. Which wouldn't surprise me if that was the case because Triple H and Brock Lesnar in twenty thirteen, um, that feud was the die the death. Uh, John, um, I'll go to you for the potential third person who may be employed with WWE at the time of this particular show coming out. It's Mister Cody Rhodes. Now we go back now. This nine years, and you really can remember exactly why he wanted to leave in the first place <laughs> yeah it wasn't going well was it at this point you know like you know i was saying then road scholars were kind of making a bit of a, a wave but it wasn't really yeah you know, they weren't really going anywhere i don't think they were seen as very serious um i mean how how many gimmicks did Rhodes go through there as well cody you went through it all day you didn't do the whole dashing thing you know and um part of legacy and then then this it, it was pretty wild, but yeah, you could see at that point where he was, he was probably sitting at the back thinking, hang on, I've just been cut from the biggest show of the year. Now I'm on a squash comedy match you know, near the back end of Raw After Mania. What am I doing? You know, it probably, that was probably a point where he thought, you know, I want to be doing something a little bit more and honouring my great father's legacy, to be fair. I mean... He probably then does have one of his best periods later on that year because he has the stuff with Sand. He turns face on Sats when Sandow turns on him. Yeah, it does a good job, and then they put me, they put me Goldust, and they have that mini feud of the authority, which is, I think that's 
that's some of the best work Goldust has done. Definitely some of the best work Cody's done. Yeah, you put. Uh, I mean, I think like the Rhodes brothers and you stuck stuck those two together. They always turn it up, didn't they? They always did really good work, and they made chicken salad out of chicken shit. As Steve Austin would say, you know, they, oh, did, yeah. they did some great work. Yeah, they showed um, Cal- they showed Carlito and Primo what relatives should work with. Work like yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Some amazing quotes in this match as well from the commentary team as well. I've just seen. Um, like when JBL says about tons of Funk's gear, do these guys shop with Michael Hayes? Uh, and of course, you know, then JBL talking to Cole as Michael Cole tried to dance with that great theme tune. You've got the rhythm of a drunk elephant. <laughs> what about the one where Lawler said, there's no way to slow this guy down, talking about Brodus. Uh, they had to put speed bumps at the buffet. Oh, uh, Lola had to go there, didn't he? With yeah. a fat joke. But was this not the, the time period where Cody had that horrendous moustache that made him look like he belonged on a register? He did. He had the moustache. <laughs> the moustache was away. They had the moustache for a while. I think they only yeah, got the moustache. The moustache was... In the bank. That was a moment, wasn't it? That was... Yeah. I'm glad he's done that. I mean, what's worse? The moustache or the neck tattoo? The neck tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, mm, actually, yeah, the neck tattoo. I, I think you could get. I wish you could get rid of the mustache. I think the neck tattoo is the reason why these uh, contract negotiations were on for so long. I think they were just trying to figure out what to do. It's like they agreed to pay, they agreed the story, they agreed the media match. It was just all about the tattoo. It's like it, right. it was when he got it. It was like one of those really bad creator wrestler things where he'd accidentally put the tattoo in the wrong place. <laughs> you could, you, you could just imagine. Kevin Dunn will have fun with yeah. it. And staked it, and you're like, oh. I've worked for an hour on this and I've saved it. <laughs> oh god, it's one of those ones that you come home and your messy sees it going, leave, go back, fix that. And you get a refund on that. <laughs> uh, she's gonna oh. take one look at that in order you to laser it off. Oh Jesus. So yeah, that has been the raw after WrestleMania 29. Now, as we do for all our look back shows. We're going to rate, rate it to see how we fought of it between one and five. Uh, Dave, I'll start to you. What would you go for this? I'm going to give a, a rather generous three and a half. Oh, that's very generous. Mm. Very generous. I, I very nearly said four, but I thought, no, 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 that didn't deserve a four. But I'm giving but two and a half. Oh, at least two to two and a half is because of the crowd. That's very interesting. Very so you're giving two to the crowd, one yeah. and a half to Ziggler. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, two for the crowd. Ziggler gets his own standalone star just for that one segment, and everything else gets a half. Right. Interesting. Interesting. It's very bold. Uh, Alan, what have you got? I'm gonna go. Two. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a start to the the crowd because roll after me the crowd is usually wild and a start for the cash in it's, it's a better show overall I could obviously get more but I think the cash in would have been amplified more but the show itself out with those two parts was typical Monday Night Raw at the moment it was shy mm. interesting interesting uh, John what about you 
I'm going to go with three, but to be fair, 0.5 of that's for the crowd. The rest of it is just going to be for Dolph and the cash-in. Because it was a terrible show, really, when you think about it. There was, in fact, no, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll increase that to 3.5, and I'll give the extra 0.5 to the Shield. Interesting. Interesting. I was going to go three. I was going to split it in the middle. Uh, purely because the cash in's massive. You can't. You have to kind of take the cash in into consideration as we all have. Crowd is pretty decent for most of it. There's not much else into it. I'm, something that's quite mental that I was thinking about is the mania the night before. I always remember that mania as having a triple main event type thing. Because we obviously have Rock and Cena. You've got Taker and Punk, and you've got Triple H and Brock. You only get two of them on this show. One of them's the bloody Undertaker. <laughs> mm. And then obviously Cena, who bookends the show. So pretty much everything else is like, I always think with Mania, it's the next night is always about some of the guys who were prominent on the night before. You know? And if you look at the guys who, who won the matches, I mean, I'm just going to go back and have a look at it. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, if you count the pre show, there's nine matches at Mania. Miz wins, he loses his title back the night after. The Shield win, and they make a brief appearance for The Undertaker, which is pretty cool. Mark Henry wins, and yeah, he loses by count out, and is then pushed away from the title picture by the guy he beat at WrestleMania. Uh, Team Hell No, they won, and uh, Brian lost to one of the guys he beat the night before. Uh, Fandango, enough about him, <laughs> he gets absolutely battered. Del Rio loses his title. Uh, Taker appears briefly. Um, Triple H isn't there, so the only guy that's really, the only guy, the only guys that really come out better are the uh, are the Shield and Triple uh, and John Cena. Undertaker's just Undertaker, you know. So there's, le- there's pretty much less of that and more about other stuff, which kind of drops it down from being a great show. It's a great cash in. I think it's hard. I think it's hard. I can't really rank the show low enough for you before the cash in, personally. But that's just our opinions. We've kind of that's about free average from us. So it's not it's pretty solidly down the middle. That's just our opinions. Please uh, comment your opinions on the social media feeds uh, posts for this particular show. Uh, let us know what you thought of the Raw after WrestleMania. Uh, and also please tell us what you thought of last night's show because obviously we've not mentioned it at all other than our potential Cody Rhodes not Cody Rhodes Seth Rollins opponents it's, it's going to be Cody Rhodes but I might eat my words in the morning <laughs> for that particular one uh, but we've still got loads of great shows if you've enjoyed this one coming up in the weeks coming in the next few weeks obviously Wrestlemania has been in the past we're going to go away from Wrestlemania uh, next week we've got our latest debating chamber show which is going to be interesting uh, that's looking at the fallout from Wrestlemania so please just uh, stay, stay tuned for that we've also got a look back at the In Your House Revenge of the Taker show which was 25 years ago and we also have a profile of a man we've mentioned many times in the last 10 minutes Cody Rhodes because mm-hmm. you know I think we actually put that in the, on the calendar before he got announced as leaving AEW so it's pretty coincidental so that's all Perfect to come timing. that's all to come in the coming weeks we've also got all the usual stuff we've got ESSR Central Saturday Draft Live East Meets West all the stuff there lots of co- content please subscribe to us 
Uh, I'd like to thank my panel, uh, to John, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, to Alan, thank you. Cheers, mate. And to Dave, thank you very much. Thanking you. Yep. I'm Stephen Wilson, and we will see you next time. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrawley. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. 